This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to another Gangplank Report. You've heard Adrian and Jen talk about the most recent episode of this hit Bravo series. Now it's time to hear from you, the superfans. It's time for the bonus episode of the Gangplank Report. And here they are, Adrian Gang and Jennifer Bennington. Hey gang, welcome back to another superfan episode. This week we have a super couple. We have retired Lieutenant Colonel Buzz Patterson and his beautiful wife, Nicole. And Buzz met Adrian. Well, they connected online because Buzz kind of... He outed himself. Admitted his... <laughs> yes, I didn't want to use those words. He kind of admitted to his guilty pleasure being below deck. So welcome, you two. Well, thank you, ladies, for having us. Thank it's you. great to be with you guys. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So tell us how you got started. Nicole, did you get him into it? 100%. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not like a big Housewives fan. Like, there's enough drama in my life that I don't really need to <clears throat> partake in that. But right. what I love about Below Deck is that Buzz and I both were air crew. Mm. And there's so many similarities. I was a flight attendant. I also worked on the ground as a gate agent. And then Buzz was a pilot. We've traveled the world because he was in the Air Force. We met Japan. And we just, there's a lot of similarities between our lives and what you guys experience. However, we don't have to live with our crew. So that's the fun part <laughs> is watching what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting when Buzz and I were going back and forth a little bit, we talked about the interesting contrast between yacht crew and flight crew. And you guys will have to give me a little bit more insight into that. I understand the not living together part, which is very fortunate for you guys in your career choice, but being able to be in a high pressure situation where lives are on the line if things aren't done the way that they're supposed to be done per safety specs and all the other rules and regulations that you have to follow. A handful of seasons ago on Below Deck Mediterranean, you heard the words maritime law thrown around quite a bit. I'm curious if there is an airline equivalent of maritime law for you guys. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So yeah, if you're flying domestically in the United States, you're under obviously the FAA, Federal Aviation Administration. And when you go international, you're under what's called ICAO, the International Civil Aeronautics Organizations. So they all have similar rules, but it's the same as maritime law and maritime rules. You just were up in the air and you guys are on, on the ocean. But yes, interesting when you talk about the crews living together as yachties in the airline world. In fact, there was a point in time. So I flew for Delta as a pilot. Nicole was a Delta flight attendant. 
And there was a time when Delta had a policy that they wouldn't even put the crews together in hotels. So they would keep the flight attendants at one hotel and the pilots at another hotel. Wow. Yeah, to kind of diminish opportunities there. But I mean, air crews still get together and and have fun, but not nearly as much fun as you guys seem to be having. And I think it's because of the close proximity that you guys have. And I think the fact that you guys, you know, typically it's a three or four day charter, correct me if I'm wrong, but we would go on three and four day trips all the time flying airplanes, but you guys had a lot more face-to-face interaction as crews than, than air crews do. But there's a lot of similarities. The laws, you know, the regulations are certainly there, very similar in that regard. The crew composition is very important, very similar in that regard. So as Adrian was saying, the bottom line is safety. Mm-hmm. And number one, well, you got to take care of the customer, right? But you also have to make sure you're doing it within regulations and not getting anybody hurt. And we were watching below deck Mediterranean when Captain Sandy runs into the, runs into okay. the buoy or yeah, the dolphin. Yeah. And so very similar to an airplane pulling into a gate, very similar in terms of you got to watch out where you're going. You don't want to hit any equipment, obviously. So yeah, it's, I mean, there's a lot of analogies, but I do think the yachts have a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I've noticed is for an airline crew, when I flew, the crew stayed together, both pilots and flight attendants. That was mid nineties. And one of the things that differs is that we weren't allowed to really even drink on our off time, because if you have had multiple drinks the night before, there can potentially be an FAA person on the jetway ready to test you before you get on the aircraft. Yeah. And if you test that you've been drinking the night before excessively, you're fired. Right. Yeah. That would not work in yachting. Yeah. That would not. No. <laughs> There wouldn't be any yacht crew left. Right. I mean, thankfully, you guys are closer to the ground. You know, if you're stuck in a fuselage with a bunch of hungover flight attendants and pilots, that's a bad... Yeah, that's a bad... There's a bottle to throttle rule, right? Right. Yeah, we have the FAA does. And in fact, the international guys are even a little bit stricter. The FAA, it's basically 12 hours between the last drink you have and the time you actually push the throttles up to take off. But then I think internationally, it's depending on the country, it's either eight or 10. Right. So we would go out and have fun. And some guys did push it and girls pushed it. But a lot of guys and girls uh, were caught and fired for it. So we had to pick our opportunities. You know, if we had a long layover, like a 36, 48 hour layover, the crews would get together and have a lot of fun. Right. Because you knew you had time to recover. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you had a short layover, you know, 12 hours, something like that, you just, you get your beer in, your glass of wine in, and you try to go to bed so that you're ready to roll. Right. And then morning but so but yeah i mean it's what's one of the things that really kind of attracted us to the series is there are a lot of analogies and a lot of similar cultural experiences that the yachts have too now i gotta tell you as a lifelong pilot i would love to go and one of these i would be happy to be a stew or Me too. sign us up <laughs> i've said that a bunch i said if i would have known because i started off in the travel industry i was on the travel agent side although i did apply for delta here in since but then I found out I would have to clean up vomit in a cabin if it happened and I I couldn't do that so I went to the travel agent side of it but if I had known this was a thing back in the 90s I would have totally been doing this and if you liked boats yes true and if I like boats I kind of have titanic phobia so But maybe if it had been caught early, I wouldn't have that. (laughs) So question for you, as far as the structure that you guys work within, the way you see it on the boat, the captain, and I know that Sandy is not 
Jen's favorite captain out of all the series. But one of the things I like about Sandy is that she's constantly bringing up safety and she's constantly trying to drill into people that they have to pay attention to things because of safety. And that's a very large part of what we do. And I would say Sandy, more than all the rest of the captains that we see, really hones in on that and reminds people of that because I feel like once you get into the swing of things, sometimes that goes to the wayside and she doesn't really seem to let that go. And I understand how that looks a little micromanagey to some people. There's other elements of her leadership style I'm not a huge fan of, but for what it's worth, everything rolls downhill. Is it the same with flight crews? I mean, is the pilot basically the equivalent of the captain and the head flight attendant reports to him? Like, is that kind of how the structure is for you guys or is it a little bit different? No, it's exactly the same. So there's always every flight's got a captain. And I would say every flight's got a co-pilot, which I would equate to the bosun. And what the airline industry does is the captain's in charge, but the captain doesn't do all the flight. The co-pilot does a lot of the flying as well. And there's also a chief flight attendant. It reports directly to the captain. So yeah, the unfortunate part for an air crew is that we don't see the same people frequently. We always are flying. Delta's got, I don't know, 80,000 employees, I think. And Mm -hmm. Uh, 13,000 pilots and probably 25,000 flight attendants and bases all over the country. And you hardly ever flew with the same flight attendant crew or the same pilot crew, actually. So every single time you actually go on a trip in the airline industry, you're actually working with people you haven't met before. And you only have three or four days to kind of bond and make those relationships happen. Unlike the six weeks on Below Deck, where you guys, I mean, really get to know each other really well. So I've been thinking about which captain that I like the most on Below Deck. And I do like Sandy because of her approach to safety. I do think she's a little overbearing and it does roll downhill. I think that if I was to be a captain on any of these boats, I would be more along the lines of Glenn. Yay! I was waiting for it. I was ready to yay. <laughs> Glenn, I do like I do like Captain Jason. Mm-hmm. He reminds me of myself and the fact that he he really gets involved and he does everything. He does. He a, reminds you of yourself because you think you're that hot. That I was hot, just gonna hot, say because he's funky. You know what? He's not my type, but he's <laughs> he's not a bad looking guy. <laughs> what about you, Nicole? Who's your favorite captain? I would have to agree. I, Glenn is just super cool. I would I would have no problem working for that guy. And quite frankly, I really do like Sandy. I think that she maybe overcompensates a little bit because she's a woman, but I really respect the way she leads. And I think she has a lot of almost maternal care for some of her crew members when she sees them struggle. She seems like she really wants to guide and protect people. Yeah, it's the some part that gets me though. Right. Yeah, I know. So it's, exactly. it's not across the board. Favorites. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. the part that's frustrating. I have wiped the slate clean this season. Yeah. I am at Sandy 3.0 now. <laughs> we started this podcast last year with the Mediterranean season because there were so many people that were saying they weren't going to watch it because of what happened with Hannah and Sandy. And they were just protesting because Malia was back. And I really had to talk Jen into doing the podcast because I was like, come on, let's just watch it. Even if this is our practice round for getting the podcast ready for the next season of Below Deck, let's just do it. And I'm so glad that we did because it was, it really was a great season and we met some really amazing people like Z. Z is one of my favorites. What a sweetheart that guy is. Isn't he just pure light? I love him. Yeah, I love him. Yeah. Just that smile. He's enigmatic. 
So what are each of your favorite franchises? Ladies first, Nicole. Well, it's hard to say, but I have to go with Mediterranean because that was just kind of the first introduction I had. Mm-hmm. And I've watched every season and I've gotten attached to some of the crew members. And Hannah was actually not one of my favorites. I felt like she kind of found reasons to have controversy with people mm-hmm. and I just didn't care for her leadership style and I actually prefer Kate over Hannah mm-hmm. that may surprise and may this may be totally unpopular opinion but just maybe that's my personality but I don't think it's unpopular it's so subjective that I think people just find who they would relate to best or who they might work with best yeah who exactly. if they were stuck on a yacht who they'd want to be on there with and that A lot of times comes down to personality types and management styles. So I get that. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get into chefs at some point, but. Yes, uh, we will. (laughs) uh, I won't put the horse before the cart. I was just going to say, even though my name is thrown into the ring in this category, I am not actually my favorite chief stew. Daisy is. (laughs) But Adrian, you were fantastic. And I, the reason I say that is because you did take your job more seriously than most chiefs do. So I have a quick question for you guys. As a flight attendant, the first thing we did was check safety, all the safety gear. It was required. And that's just probably something they don't show on the show because it's not very sexy. But is that something that you guys do when you first get on the boat? You check where everything is? So my season was a little bit different. One, it was a cluster mess. It was a a messy cluster. (laughs) And they didn't really know what they were doing. So Lee didn't want to be there. He was forced to be there by his boss, who was actually the owner of the yacht, and was told that if he didn't participate in the show, that the owner would find a captain that would. And so he made that experience pretty miserable for all of us, which is why in the very first season and pretty much none thereafter, you saw the safety drills. Because we had no idea what we knew and what we didn't know. And so we spent the first couple days off that we had going through safety drills and getting woken up at six o'clock in the morning to fire drills and stuff like that. And so we actually went through all of that. So they just don't show that. Yeah. Oh, they do. I mean, we we did man overboard. They made us put on the Gumby suits. Like that was definitely in our episodes. But you don't see that on successive seasons. And I think because it would be just redoing the same thing over and over and over again. So we're watching the new season of Mediterranean with Reagan as the bosun. Mm -hmm. And when Sandy loses her stabilizers, Reagan's running around going, where are the life jackets? Yeah. (laughs) What the actual? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to throw this out there and it's pure speculation, but I think Reagan might be medicated. I think she's got some serious issues. Like that's, I totally agree. She's in outer space. I don't get it. And slow-mo. Yeah. Let me ask a quick question about, I guess, Reagan was a former captain. Of a dinghy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, she has an extra stripe, right? I've, I've noticed that. You can buy those on Amazon. <laughs> so I, I can be a yachty? You absolutely can be. You can be a yachty for Halloween if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys can be air crew. There, you there we go. Perfect. I'll finally be a Delta stewardess. Yes. <laughs> it's not all attractive. One of the things that's interesting about your question is that on season seven, 
somebody who's very much like a little brother to me was the bosun that started on the season, Chandler. And they made it look like he kind of got fired, but he quit. And it was because they hadn't gone over any of the safety stuff. And he goes, I know something bad is going to happen. And I know that Lee is going to blame it on me. And I want to leave before that happens. And sure enough, the very next trip after he left was when Ashton got the line wrapped around his leg and went in the water. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. And yeah. He, he goes, I, totally I know that. that if I was there, that Lee would have blamed that on me immediately. Yeah. So is Lee still part of the franchise or no? He yes. is. There are rumors floating about. I don't know if you guys like spoilers, so I won't tell you the rumors unless you want them. It's fine. I, I'm tired of Lee. I think he needs to retire. He's a curmudgeon. Amen. Okay. The rumors are that something occurs during this coming up season and that he has to depart and that Sandy comes down and takes over for him. Interesting. Yeah. We saw pictures online because Sandy lives in Florida in the off season. So she would be the quickest to get down to the Caribbean. Okay, cool. I like the inside info. Yeah. Little gossip. Also, neither Sandy or Lee run both full-time anymore. Both Jason and Glenn are still acting captains. I mean, they're still in the industry. So if they were going to call somebody in a hurry, yeah, Sandy would be the most likely choice of somebody that we okay. know. Interesting. I'd like to see another new captain, some new blood. It was fun to see Jason step in. And I love his captain style, the way he'll jump in and actually help. That's why I'm hoping we see Sean back, Captain Sean, because he's- oh, I forgot about him. Yeah. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. And he's somebody I've known for 15 years. And he is by far one of the coolest, most experienced captains I've ever met in my entire life. Like his boating experience is exceptional. And they didn't give him a great edit for the episode and a half that he was on the last season, but I wish he had an opportunity to show his full range because he really is dynamic. He looks like a great guy too. I mean, you can just kind of tell the personalities and who you'd want to have a beer with and who you would just kind of pass. Right. I think I'd pass with Lee for sure. Probably pass with Sandy. But Glenn, Jason, those people you kind of want to hang out with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's how it comes across. I mean, Jason might be a complete douche. But <laughs> not not from everything yeah, that I've he been can told. Totally say that. <laughs> that's the air crew coming out of me. That's the pilot coming out of me. You know, yeah, because you know, I actually I did do twenty years in the Air Force first, so I wasn't. I have not just been a. Delta and you were airline, a fighter so. pilot in the Air Force, correct? I was an everything pilot, actually. I flew a lot of different things. I was in twenty years. You got the Air Force Air Medal, right? I did for the Bosnian War. Mm -hmm. That's what got me when President Clinton was in the White House looking for a new Air Force aide. My war experience was what the Pentagon and the White House looked at, and that's how I got invited to interview to be the nuclear football guy. Right. That's how the, all that happened. So that was, uh, in fact, Nicole and I had just started dating. We were both living in Northern California at the time, and then the White House called and asked me to come out an interview and and I did and it was like a three-day interview process at the White House a lot of background stuff and security checks and that kind of thing but when they offered me the job at the White House I called my then girlfriend now wife of 25 years and said I think I'm going to say no and she says no you can't say no to the White House <laughs> so I took that gig which took me out of flying for a couple of years but you know, it paved the way for the books that I've written mm -hmm. over the years and everything else has happened in terms of speaking and running for Congress and all that kind of stuff. So, right. yeah, it was one of those things that just happens out of the blue. You get a phone call in your office and they say, hey, this is the White House. And you go, OK, well, 
I better fly out to Washington, D.C. and talk to these folks. And that's kind of how all that went down. That's very cool. What does job of nuclear football guy entail out of curiosity? Anything that you can tell us that doesn't require a security clearance? <laughs> uh, every president since George Washington has had a military aide. And then during President John F. Kennedy's term in the Cuban Missile Crisis, he realized that we had to have, he had, the president has to have the ability to make nuclear decisions, you know, whether to strike another country or to retaliate or whatever. So during Kennedy's couple of years before he was assassinated, the military aide became also a person that carries this large black satchel, which military guys like to give nicknames to a lot of things. And Mm-hmm. The actual football is officially called the President's Emergency Satchel. And then, of course, the military aides gave it the name the football because you're always carrying it around no matter where the president goes. So you, as a military aide and the nuclear football carrier, you actually live in the White House. You have an office and a bedroom. Wow. I did for those few years. Yeah. And everywhere the president goes, you go, whether it's on Marine One, Air Force One, Camp David, golf, dinners, everything that he does you do so you're always right there so he has access to the bag if he needs it he has access to the bag and he has somebody that's there to help him navigate the multitude of decisions that a president would have to make if the nuclear war was an option that there has to be a military guy or a girl that can actually sit there and say okay so this is what this means this is what that means and if you're going to make the decision we got to do it you know within just a few minutes time frame so that's why you live there you live there because you have to be there. Yeah, time is of the essence sometimes. Yeah, well, think about it. If somebody shoots a missile from Russia or from China, we have about 15 minutes to respond as a country. Right. And that 15 minutes means you got to be right there so that you and the president can hook up and talk about things and then get whatever has to happen, whatever the decision is the president makes, it gets communicated to the Pentagon and then all across, you know, our nuclear structure in this country, we, we have nuclear weapons and missile silos, we have them in submarines, we have them on bombers. And so whatever the president decides, all those communications go out immediately to all those service men and women who are ready to make that kind of thing happen. And so it's an overwhelmingly awesome responsibility mm-hmm. and something that kept me up a lot at night. I'm sure. Yeah, there was a lot of what if scenarios that I was running through my mind in those two years. So yeah, it was once in a lifetime opportunity. I wouldn't do it again, quite frankly. Yeah. It was just two years of just pure hell. Yeah. Of not having your own life, obviously. Not having any life. Nicole and I did get married during that time frame. So did the Clintons have to come or did somebody sub for you? They weren't invited. They weren't invited. I was going to say, you standing at the end of the aisle with a briefcase still attached to your arm. (laughs) Right. That that wouldn't go with your boot in the air. I got to say, just thank you for your service. And I'm kind of gobsmacked a little bit that you're on Gangplank Report because you've led the coolest life. I can't even. Well, this is the coolest thing I've done probably thousands of radio interviews and podcasts this Uh is the coolest one i've ever been on (laughs) (laughs) i love you real quick nerd question is the white house haunted oh i'm sure it is yeah (laughs) Yeah, i'm sure oh yeah that's a great question actually i used to walk around at night when you know the president had gone upstairs to the residence you know go go to bed and i was just by my lonesome there so i'd walk around the white house and just poke around and there's actually a library room in the white house that is fascinating because if when you go in, this, it's a little room that's got all these old books that former presidents have donated over the years. 
Right. And one day, it was probably like midnight, I was just poking around in there, and I found one that had been given to George Washington on his inauguration. And I was just, it was English that you could, that you and I cannot understand. It was written in mm-hmm. old English, and, but super cool. And it had been signed by the author and given to President George Washington. So I sat down one day, and I swear to God that night, I was thumbing through those pages, and I was smelling history. Mm-hmm. And I was sensing like, man, you know, this building is unlike any other building in the world. And I'm living in it, and, mm-hmm. and this is this is proof. So, yeah. I mean, they still have, there's still some super cool secret kind of things in the White House, like when the British attacked in 1812, they still have downstairs in the basement, they still have the columns that were burned by the British. Wow. There's still the burn marks and the soot and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm 100% sure it's haunted. I feel like this is like the Vatican archives. Like maybe I shouldn't be listening to this. Like there's stuff down there that we probably shouldn't. There's a UFO, you know, no big deal. You don't watch (laughs) enough Discovery Channel. (laughs) There's a lot of this stuff. After <laughs> yeah. this, I'm going to have to kill you both. So uh, we can have this conversation again. Well, then I will just haunt your house, Buzz. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever visit the White House, the Spring Stage. There you go. There you well, go. And that's the thing. My husband and I do paranormal investigating as a hobby on the side. How fun. And the White House is a dream that will never happen because of the restricted access and whatnot but you're the only person i've ever met that's lived there so <laughs> i had to ask the thing about the white house is kind of interesting it's, it's really just you know it's an office building for the most mm-hmm. part i mean the president yep. and the first family live upstairs the top two floors of the central part of the building the original part of the building before they added on the wings but when you're walking around at night, there's nobody there. Everybody's gone home. It's just basically mm-hmm. the Secret Service guys and girls, and the president and the first family, and you. And I had free reign. I mean, I, I would walk around. I, I mean, President Clinton would call me occasionally, come upstairs, and so he could ask me a question about something military. And I'd, go up, I'd just go up in the residence and hang out with him and, and talk That's and then crazy. go back down. It's, just, it's nuts. It was nuts. It was, it was such a blur. Mm-hmm. for two years which is why i started writing about it i didn't want to forget all the experiences i had good and bad mm-hmm. that's very cool it is i'm going to turn our conversation a little bit back towards below deck but i wanted to tell you quickly that before we started this part of the conversation your wife scolded you and told you to watch your language but i need to tell you that before i came on to talk to you i talked to my mom and i told her that i was going to be interviewing you and she said you better watch your sailor mouth adrian he's very, <laughs> he'll get very upset with you it's <laughs> like okay mom yes ma'am <laughs> yep. adrian i've got the same repertoire so you and i could go at each other probably <laughs> i'm totally be. telling my mom <laughs> <laughs> that sounded so funny <laughs> when you're flying in combat and you're, you're a pilot you kind of let yourself go a little bit and so I, i've got all those same words there so you we'll go. You to, could, well, we'll, if you could just say, Cindy, chill out. Everything's fine. We'll be good. <laughs> is Cindy listening? She will be, yes. Hey, Cindy, chill out. Everything's great. <laughs> There's not I a lot love- of words. There's not a lot of words around this house that are forbidden, unfortunately. Love- we're, we're like John Christians, <laughs> and it's just the, the four-letter words are gone, unfortunately. So. What did you say <laughs> before we started recording that you manage a ship of fools? Yes, I do. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, That's I've got, amazing. yeah, we have two adult children. Well, one of them's going back to college next month, but our college grad lives at home getting her master's. And then we have a 16 year old son and then my dad just moved in with us. So it's, 
a lot of testosterone, a lot of me cooking and cleaning and managing emotion. It's yeah. like like a cruise. Yeah, so you're you're basically chief stew material already. Totally, you practiced I, for years. Before my dad moved in, I was like, I feel like a hungover chief stew. <laughs> like it was, the, it was like the best analogy I could come up with. That's perfect. So we were talking earlier, and you were going to comment on your chef preference. I'm curious now. Okay, I got to go first. If I couldn't be the captain, which I would want to be, mm-hmm. I would be the chef. Mm. And so I think my favorite. I, I can't wait to hear your ladies' opinions on this, but I think my favorite chef, I mean, I, I understand the pressure that they're under. I understand that, especially the first meal when you've got to really impress these people who are paying big bucks to come on your boat. But I think my favorite chef is probably Ben. Mm. Mm-hmm. He's my gold standard. Yeah. Because that, I just think you know, he's a little bit weird, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, he turns out some great stuff. And then I, and I also got to say that the guy that's on, was it Chef Dave? That's on Below Deck Mediterranean. Right now? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Dave is super cool. Yeah. And he's got that crush thing going. Mm-hmm. With Tosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a mess. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that doesn't take him down. I hope that he's able to overcome that. But a lot of creative types are also very emotional types. And that's why we see a lot of these chefs. I am a yacht chef that has been my career for the last 16 years. Really? uh, Yeah. I was a chief stew one time for six weeks on television. I was supposed (laughs) to be the chef on the show initially. And then we got a bigger boat and they decided they wanted a male chef. And that's how we got Ben. And I could not have been more grateful because Ben is the only person that kept me sane that entire time. Everybody else was just like a really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He was great. And I'm grateful for him. I thought Adam was my favorite, but he's so oh, girl. Did you not watch emotional? <laughs> I did. What a bunch of freaking nonsense. He falls in love at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole thing with Malia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Jenna and Jenna. I can't stand Jenna. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> that's probably not popular opinion either. But what a gossipy little, you know what? I can't stand. Dan, they just stood around in the galley and gossiped about and dry that one glass for the whole oh, season. <laughs> the only redeeming quality we got out of sailing out season one, and the only thing I'm happy about with that entire season was Glenn. Everything else and, can go away. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And then I know she's batshit crazy, but Rachel is a great chef. <laughs> she is. She's done some amazing things when she, because Marcos kind of replicated her a little bit. I don't know. Marcos, if he, Marcos I was going to say, he's probably the best of the best. And I think he just opened a restaurant in LA. Yeah, he did. He actually has a restaurant, a bar, and he's opening another restaurant from what we've uh, heard. We, that's so on our list. We yeah. were, you know, an hour outside of LA. So we're, we're going to go But she was the first it. person I saw do the cloche with smoking with the cloche and then he he did it on this past season as well but yeah she's very creative I hadn't put together that he really did kind of replicate her style well I don't think that he necessarily knew because of the filming times and when they air so he probably didn't know about her doing that but there are things you know when you watch Food Network there are things that come up and then all of a sudden they're the rage so Yeah, it, it could be a new technique that was popping up at the time yeah. that people were doing for yes, high-end we service. have a smoking cloche. We have it for, I use it for cheese. Yes. Nice. I just yeah. got one for Andrew for our anniversary. So. How fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Yo, I got cheese whiz. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't knock, don't knock it. I love crazy. 
spray, spray teas on wheat bags. I have a little bit of insider information there. So season one, we didn't have a budget for anything. Uniforms, table deco, nothing. I tried to tell them in advance that it would make a difference and they didn't have the budget for it. But since then, because their advertising budget has obviously skyrocketed because of the popularity of the show, they have started to budget more for things like table decor and fancy foodstuffs. And so I have seen the progression of the things that they have budgeted for over the last, you know, 17 seasons of this show. And I think they're finally starting to invest money in things like that, like those tools and techniques. The and trendy the, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The shishi stuff, because we didn't have that my season. Do the so, chefs have warming lamps? Because I feel like one of the problems is cold food and timing, getting it upstairs. Depends on the boat. Some of the boats okay. have them built into the above the countertops and some of them don't. Yeah. I mean, I can understand that being a stressful thing because even as a home cook, you know, you want to get everything out hot. Correct. And some of it has to do with safety because a lot of those are propane fed. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, I have to say my least favorite chef was Ryan. Oh, yeah. Arrogant, egomaniac. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's actually why I started watching Down Under and I got four episodes in and he made me so mad that I stopped. I had to like take a break. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's a freaking pizza chef. Like check yourself, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Matthew last season on med or oh what a hot mess that guy is oh my god he reminds me of Howard Wallowitz on the big bang theory (laughs) serious put a bowl cut on that guy (laughs) that's awesome so what are you guys looking forward to for the rest of this season of med oh just the drama oh what's your favorite Mm. favorite is when they go out yeah so I love Yeah, so the nights out. The nights out to me is just I can't not watch it because mm-hmm. it's a train wreck, and uh, it typically looks like a lot of fun. I would love to be there, and that's when I think all the stuff goes down when people just get blitzed. Yeah, and I got a question for you guys, if you don't mind. Sure. One of the things that we've noticed is sometimes the different shows show the engineers, sometimes they don't. I got to ask Adrian: Is how many people are actually? What kind of production crew was actually uh, on the yacht yeah, at the same the time? Crew sleep? Okay, so most of these boats, because of the size that they are, would normally sleep 10 to 12 people. But because production has an equipment room and a production room on board, they take up usually the VIP. So even when the chief stew walks around the guests at the beginning of their trip and says, here's the VIP, here's the this, here's the master, usually the VIP is reserved for the production team to set up all their surveillance cameras and sound equipment and all that stuff. And then they have a secondary equipment room that's usually a bunk room where they keep all their extra cameras and batteries and all that kinds of stuff so that they can wow, reload. I totally and... assume they had like a second boat where they had to go sleep So they on. do. They have a chase boat. So because they're hired through a company out of the U.S. and most of the camera people are employees of Union, the entertainment union, they all work on eight-hour shifts. So my season they only had two eight-hour shift camera crews. So they only covered 16 hours of the day. So they would start at seven o'clock in the morning and end at 11 o'clock at night. And the producers would try to tell the guests who were paying to be there 
to go to sleep at 11 o'clock at night so they didn't miss anything. And my guests were like, screw you. We've yeah, no, we're to be here. It's our vacation. Be on the boat. Yeah. So they missed everything from 11 o'clock at night till seven o'clock in the morning. Oh, and that was I when it got just rambunctious. All the crazy stuff happened. Yeah. Absolutely. Like we used to play games with my crew. We used to play games to see who could unplug their surveillance cameras and sound equipment the fastest. <laughs> and then the camera crew would come in at seven o'clock in the morning and be like, screw you guys. And they'd have to hook it all back up again. <laughs> like, we used to mess with them so bad. And there was a couple of crazy things that happened on my season that never made it to film because there was absolutely no recording of it whatsoever. But like a couple of my crewmates locked themselves in the walk-in refrigerator and there may or may not have been (laughs) sex that was had. I don't know. You know, there was a (laughs) lot of stuff that they missed my season, but they very much learned their lesson on that. That is hilarious. Adrian, I have to say, I loved watching you let loose when that whole lesbian contingency came on board. Oh, they were were awesome. These are my people. This is so fun. And it was so fun to watch you let loose because you had to worry so much about everything, everybody else. Yeah. Who was the blonde girl that you just had? Yes. Gosh, (laughs) she's awful. And I know you're going to really judge me for this call, but I actually hired her to work on a real boat for me with no cameras involved after that, because nobody else would hire her because she represented herself so terribly. No, I think that's really sweet. Actually. Well, I felt terrible for her. And even though I was very obviously not her first call, I gave her an opportunity and we spent an entire summer going all the way up and down the Eastern seaboard together. And I met her parents and we hung out in Newport where she's from and met a whole bunch of people. It was a lot of fun. And then the very end of the season, and I can't even make this up, we got into a fight about select a size paper towels and she stormed off the boat and I had to fire her. <laughs> Over paper towels. It was out of control. <laughs> I was like, really? We made it through an entire season of boating without any cameras around. Nobody died. And, and now you're going to get upset towel. about select a size paper towel. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, but I'm with you, Buzz. I really enjoy the nights out. I used to enjoy the excursions. I miss those since COVID. I wish they could find a way to work those in, but the nights out make up for it. And I'm excited to see what happens between Natasha and Dave. I don't know that we've really seen a breakup on a ship because technically Gary and Ashley weren't really together and Gary and Sydney weren't really together. <laughs> they usually involve Gary though. So this is going to be at least something different. With oh, different Gary. <laughs> Are Gary and Daisy actually getting married? No. no. Something about, okay. Yeah, no, Daisy's too smart for that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the reunion or not, but she said that when she buys a car, she likes to know how many drivers it's had. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, he's had a lot of drivers. A lot of handprints on that. Guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Too many he's basically drives. just a rental car. <laughs> yeah. he, totally. Yeah. He is a rental car at an airport. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yes. I thought it was pretty funny to watch Scarlett turn him down. He was <laughs> like completely shocked that somebody. Yes. Yes, I agree. <laughs> he's not even hot. Yeah. 
<laughs> no i mean he's not my type i mean there's a man yeah you know something for everybody but he's definitely not my type either that's what yeah. one of the things that i said to the producers because they kept trying to encourage all three of us girls to hook up with guys no during my season they did huh the producers pulled me aside at one point in time and they were like you know eddie's family has money like like kennedy money like you should no. really like buddy up with eddie and i was like if you guys had hired guys that were a little bit taller that would have been great because <laughs> the only guy that i was attracted to never would have met andrew hush that's true well true but well it's a boatman's come on and it was boat way mans. pre it was pre-ad it was before andrew danks so yeah. there's that but you know the, the only guy that was taller than me on the entire cast was cj and he was a lunatic and he was already hooking up with samantha so how tall are type. you i'm five nine okay so yeah ben is my height dave was shorter than me eddie was shorter than me and that was pretty much it that's so, a no though. what's been up to these days he's a private chef he still does private engagements and stuff like that but he's not yachting anymore he just did a cruise ship i think oh yeah with virgin voyages right. he did like a some kind of a promo thing on virgin but yeah do you guys have any more questions about how below deck works i'll try to answer it for you no i it's fabulous we love it and the whole thing fascinates me just because, again, the comparison to being an air crew and it's fascinating. It's fun. It's just, it's pure, a lot of fun. fun it us. is. It's fun. Yeah. You know what? We kind of got hooked during COVID when we were sitting around the house. Couldn't, you know, we were locked down here in, in Los Angeles, couldn't go anywhere, you know, mm -hmm. and we were looking for something else to watch other than food Guy Fieri yeah. and Food Network and, <laughs> and sports and news. And we stumbled on to Blow Deck. It's still, I think it's our favorite it's show. It's a gift that keeps on giving. It is. It is. And it's bingeable <laughs> and it's re-bingeable because yeah. so much goes on in an episode. Well, if you ever need stews, Adrian, here we are. Yeah, we're <laughs> You guys are hired. I'm not 47, but we're still able. You don't even need to make up a resume. You don't even need to make up a CV. You're hired. I, like, I carry the dang nuclear football. Let me That's be. it. That's all that needs to be on there. Let me be a decky. That's good for at least one night at the bar, right? Right. Oh, for sure. I would say. Well, and what, what I say all the time about my cast is that there's several people that you would probably want to have a beer with. Like they seem like they would be really cool to hang out with, but would you trust them with your multi-million dollar asset? Just right. like, I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of people you met in the military that you would absolutely love to have a beer with that are interesting people, but would you want them carrying the nuclear football? You know absolutely what I mean? It's the same concept. Yep. I yep. mean, same concept, yes. slightly different breath, but. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, exactly right. Absolutely. I've, I've got a lot of good friends that I, I would say, absolutely not. You're not getting anywhere near yep. this thing <laughs> because it's too important and you're not capable. So. Right. right. Exactly. And at the end of the day, we're making sure people are safe and that we're managing a multi-million dollar asset. And that's the thing that I think part of the problem was that the production team, when they cast for this show, didn't really tell them that it wasn't Love Island or The Bachelorette or something like that. I think <laughs> yeah. they thought they were coming to party not to actually do the job. And I knew because I had worked on the project, I was one of the people that helped put the show together from the beginning. And I knew what it was going to be. And I was trying to brace everybody for that. And nobody was listening. Production didn't listen to me. Like nobody wanted to hear what I had to say. And I was like, all right, well, this is going to be a shit show. How does the production team recruit the people to be on the show? Seems like they need at least one drama queen, male or female. 
So they definitely typecast us. They told me well before we started filming that I was going to be the bitch everybody loved to hate. (laughs) So, I mean, they knew when they did our psych evals because we did full psych evals, written ones, and we met with psychologists ahead of time. Because one of the hard lines for reality television is that they want to make sure you're not going to harm yourself or someone else, physically harm yourself or someone else, because that is a hard no for them. That's a liability. So they need to know how far they can push you for drama, but not make you break to the point where you Epstein yourself or, you know, Mm -hmm. like they want to make sure that you're going to be okay. And that is a really fine line, but they did a really good job, obviously with my cast. Some people are really unpredictable when alcohol is involved and you're obviously not doing your psych eval when you're intoxicated. And I think therein lies the difference, but they use casting now. They have several different casting agencies that I work through. I've actually sent a couple people to them that have ended up on the show because I will run across somebody that I'm like, this person is an absolute train wreck and needs to be on below deck. So (laughs) (laughs) we're looking at you, Kat. Yeah. Well, I didn't know Kat prior to. I didn't have anything to do with casting for season one. Talk about somebody who operates differently under alcohol. Yeah. Rachel. Rachel. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Don't don't take me back to that stage. Please don't take me back. Please clean up her act. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I am honored, Buzz, that you were on the show. My husband's going to flip out. He'll actually listen to one of my podcasts and maybe start watching the show. And I am so glad, Nicole, that you got to join us as well. I love a couple that enjoys a show together. And this show brings me joy. I love meeting other people that it brings joy to as well. Well, thanks for letting me tag along because oh, you know, yeah. this guy gets all the attention because of the, you know, the whole football thing, yada, yada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you introduced him to Below Deck, so you have your own queendom (laughs) well and if you guys are open to it we'd love to have you back at some point probably towards the end of the season just to get your synopsis on what ended up playing out this season i got my notebook out take notes perfect rolodex now you're stuck with us (laughs) okay ladies anytime this is a lot of fun normally i'm talking about really serious stuff but uh, this is a lot of fun so we're here for you guys anytime you guys are awesome. awesome thank you and will you please tell everybody where they can find you oh yeah so they can find me on twitter facebook instagram and truth social and getter at buzz patterson and then my books are on amazon just search buzz patterson i've got four books out there two bestsellers they're of the conservative political bent so if you're not a conservative you're probably not going to like what i write about but my book about the white house in in the clintons is their election of duty it's not very political it's kind of an insider's view of what i saw in my two years with the clintons and the good and the bad so yeah so amazon that's awesome thank you and nicole did you want to give your social information i'm nicole lagro patterson on facebook if you feel the need then i like nice people i don't yeah. i don't want to be all that yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you all for listening we'll be back with you next week for the recap of season seven episode four thanks everybody bye hi Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to our friends who helped us create Gangplank Report. Down below music and lyrics by Angel Tweeter Frail and Terry Abbott. Performed by Lorelei of Florida. Production assistance by Michael Castaneda. 
Superfan intro by Blind Lawrence. Cast off me, hearties. <laughs> <laughs>